Hi, New Wineskin community. It's good to be with you and to be sharing with you. I want to send a big thank you and just a gratitude and celebration of our community. We are small, but um, everyone contributes in such a beautiful way. It's been so neat to hear the voices of others leading in this time of reflection and, and sermon sharing of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody who gives of themselves. This is something I get to do professionally, um, and this is something that, that the rest of you are doing out of um, out of just the commitment of your hearts and to commitment to this community, and just amazing. So uh, filled with gratitude as, uh, as I was definitely gone this last week and guest preaching the week before, um, but it's good to be back with you and, and share the good news. I mean, I need these times to be reminded of what God has done and who God is and um, how God's activity in the world is inviting me to wholeness and inviting our world to hope. So um, I hope that this time gives something similar to you. Our passage today, a really neat one from, from Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, um, verses 9 through 14. Here it is. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home, justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks be to God for the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and for his way of truth that leads us to life. Amen. So this passage, this parable, for me is about postures of the heart. Postures of the heart. The, the way that we carry ourselves, the way we see ourselves, the way we enter into the world with our efforts, with our failings, with um, a world that is in need and broken. And... This uh, passage gives two stories, two people, two approaches to that posture. I want to avoid being completely dualistic here um, and, and drawing these you know, very black and white categories. Uh, that can be kind of dangerous and unhelpful sometimes. And at the same time, it seems to me very clear that, that Jesus is trying to name some, some lies and attitudes that we sometimes adhere to that, that do not help, but are very common, and to give us an alternative way, to remind us of the way of life um, instead of that. And so I want to unpack these a little bit and, and see what they mean. Um, the Pharisee, uh, in this case, is someone who, and, and I want to be as gracious as I can to this unknown, unnamed character, but this Pharisee is trying to live a life that is good. The Pharisee lives in a world where there is evil, 
I mean, there are people hurting each other, people stealing from others, people who are violent, people who are breaking their covenants and their their um, they're breaking other people's hearts and lives. The, the, there are people that are exploiting the poor, um, that are meddling with empire like tax collectors. I mean, there are just all of these evil things around. And the way that the Pharisee is trying to, to wrestle with that evil is to stand against it and above it. They're just trying to live a life that is not like that. And I think to some degree, we're all called and invited to do this, to not live in in ways that are violent and exploitative and abusing our power. And God does not want that from us. And so at some level, the intention of the Pharisee is good in this story. But something happens, and it's very subtle, and I think all of us can identify with this, but somewhere in our efforts to be good and to follow God, uh, we can fall into the temptation to separate ourselves from others and put ourselves above them. And again, I don't think often this happens even consciously. I think that we do this and uh, it's because we're trying to do what's right. But whenever we begin to see the sins of others and we get focused on how we're not like those people who sin in that way, whenever we try to kind of manage and control the way that we're living and impose that onto other people, we start to kind of do what this Pharisee is doing. And I'll just, you know, throw it out there for myself uh, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a, as a spiritual leader, I struggle with this. I often find myself in situations where I look at other people and I can clearly see where there's evil working in their lives, where there's sin that's working in their lives. I try not to be like that. And I just, inside of me, begin to to fan the flame of resentment and judgment and um, even hatred and division over and against those other people. We see this all over the place, right? Um, We're coming up on an election in the state of Texas, and I feel like that's one of the things that fans this flame. We, you know, Democrats are really good at seeing the sins of Republicans (laughs) and the policies that are there. Um, And Republicans are really good at seeing the sins of Democrats. And so often it feels like you're voting against and say, I am glad I'm not like that, that I don't believe that, that I'm not doing those things. Um, and, And it puts us, it pits us against one another. And what God is doing in this story through Christ is showing us that we are actually not only pitting ourselves against our neighbor here when we do that, that we actually are missing the opportunity to be reconciled to God. That when we take that fork in the road from where we're trying to be good and we desire wholeness and and healing and we move it into over and against, um, that we actually start walking away from God then. And we don't enter into what Jesus calls justification, where we are in right relationship and we're able to stand. So that's one image, is the Pharisee. And what the Pharisee does, um, I also want you to think about this. What, what, what does the Pharisee's attitude and action, what does it elicit in the people who see it? 
So if I'm standing next to the Pharisee and I hear him say, thank God I'm not like you or him or these other people, um, what, what will that generally bring about in the people around you or in the, around the Pharisee in this case? And I would argue that most of the time, what it will bring about are feelings of defensiveness, feelings of resistance and defensiveness, or resistance and uh, resentment, and that people will actually be more likely to put up walls <laughs> than to become more tender to the possibility that in fact they're sinners and need to repent. Um, so when the Pharisee points fingers and blames, it actually does not, I don't think, move people toward repentance, move people toward different behavior, move people toward wholeness. If anything, people are offended, they feel guilty, they feel shame, and it can cause disempowerment, it can cause paralysis spiritually, and we see this again and again and again. Most of us have experienced it at some point when we feel judged, when we feel looked upon um, uh, with shame and guilt. And it, it, you know, it does not usually lead us to feel powerful enough to make changes in our lives um, or powerful enough to be humble uh, and, and to, to repent. So now let's look at the tax collector. Here is someone that is standing far off, which tells me that the tax collector's activity is not based on the Pharisees. Like, he's standing far enough away that he doesn't hear what the Pharisee is saying. He doesn't see his pointing fingers, judgmental glances. The tax collector is praying. He's there to be with God. And very clearly, the tax collector, like the Pharisee, is brokenhearted about the state of the world. But what the tax collector does is he identifies his own part in the brokenness of the world. And, there, and I'm, I'm, I might be going out on a limb here um, because the tax collector is very personal in his prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner. But for me, I don't think there's really any way to live in this world and not have our sin wrapped up in the sin of the world. Because we are the ones who make up this world. We are the people that make up what the world is. And it's a mess. It'd be nice and tidy if we could completely separate ourselves from society. And if our actions and behaviors didn't cause ripple effects in the world around us. But that's not the case. They do. And so I think the tax collector understands that, you know, he's not the only one who's broken. But his posture, his decision is to start with himself and to say, I am a sinner. I need mercy. And that's the other big piece here, that instead of focusing on how he has done what is right and how he can build himself up to feel better and how he can pit himself against his neighbor, the tax collector depends wholly on the mercy of God. In other words, if we could kind of draw this distinction a little more clearly, the Pharisee is putting his hope in his ability to do what is right. And he's putting his hope in his neighbor's ability to do what is right. Whereas the tax collector is putting his hope in God's mercy. And he's putting his hope um, for others and for the world in the hands of God's mercy. 
Now, at first, this can really sound disempowering too, right? That, that when we say we can't fix everything on our own, um, that we're somehow either copping out or not giving ourselves enough credit or, you know, having a low self-esteem. Um, I think some of that actually might be going on here with the tax collector to give it some nuance. Like he's struggling with, with confidence, self-esteem, and probably uh, self-hate in a way that might be unhealthy. But something else is going right, and that is that he's starting with himself and depending on the mercy of God. And so for me, the tax collector still has hope. And for me, the tax collector still is going to act. He's still going to try to live his life in a way um, where he does his best to honor God and not do what is evil. It's interesting that this is, um, you know, it makes me think about the story of Zacchaeus. I even wonder if this could be Zacchaeus, the famous tax collector who gave a lot of what he had to the poor and made right all the wrongs that um, he had been a part of. And so just because the tax collector's trusting in God's mercy doesn't mean he's not going to act. If I would actually say that because he is trusting in God's mercy, he's actually empowered to act. But there's another point I want to draw out here that I think is really important. The Pharisee seems to feel like he can control, manage, and fully understand the problem of evil. <laughs> that he has a grasp on why bad things happen, how to make them stop happening, how to fix the problem. And I can just say that I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, when we sit around and talk about all the things wrong in the world, it can, people walk by and they go, oh, you're fixing the world's problems, right? Because we, we have ideas about how things could be done better. And the, the Pharisees taking this to an extreme to the point where he truly believes he can fix everything. Whereas the tax collector sees the same world, experiences the same evil, recognizes the same sin that the Pharisee recognizes. But he has humility in, in saying to himself and to God, I can't manage this. I can't control this. I don't fully understand this. I think all of those things are between the lines here where the tax collector is asking for mercy. And I say that because I think in my mind, I'm such a fixer. I'm somebody who so wants to do things right and understand what's right and tell others to do what's right. That I, I get it. But there's a point, isn't there, in all of our lives when we can't fix it on our own. When the mess of the world or the mess that we've made uh, is too much for us to control. And that's when we come to God and say, God, I want things to be right. I want to be made right. But you're the only one who can make things right. And I will work with you and do my best to follow you. But there's this deep humility when we're able to say, I don't even understand how all this happens or how to fix it. But I trust you. This is bigger than me. You know, it's interesting. I think some of this goes back to the garden the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that God did not want us to take from. And I actually think that 
by taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we empowered ourselves falsely. We believed from that moment that we could know and manage good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And all of our political efforts, all of our leadership efforts, all of our institutions and systems that we build in some way are an effort to manage good and evil, aren't they? And sometimes, you know, we do a decent job, but the truth is we still need God's help. We cannot fix it all on our own. And the heart of the tax collector understands this and is asking for God's mercy. Finally, I want to look a little bit at what the tax collector's posture brings about in others. Jesus points out this person in the story, and I would ask you, what do you feel when you see someone being apologetic, or when you see someone being humbled, when you even see them beating their breast and asking for mercy and calling themselves a sinner? You know, what what does that bring about in us? I would say that for most of us, it brings about pity. It brings about reflection. We might wonder, what is it this person has done? It brings about um, self-examination. For me, at least, when I see others being humble and confessing their sin, I, I might hear something in their sin that I recognize in myself. Perhaps people saw the tax collector and in the tax collector's humility and cry for mercy, that their hearts were made tender to realize that they too needed God's mercy. And so it can bring about this empathy and empathy opens the heart to ask to be ready for mercy itself. I would go so far as to say that the posture of the um, tax collector is a more effective form of evangelism than the posture of the Pharisee. That whereas the posture and direction of the Pharisee to call out sin, to try to show by example, I know how to do it right, can close people off and make people defensive and resentful. But the posture of the tax collector to come and confess his sin before others and ask for God's mercy and have this sense that he isn't in control, but is trusting wholly in the hope of God, that that actually brings about a softness of heart, that it brings about for other people watching the desire to think about themselves more deeply. And so to wrap all this up, I, I think that here, Jesus is not only talking about justifying ourselves before God, but also being in right relationship with our neighbor. Because both of these things happen in public. And both of these things are about regarding others in a certain way. That's what it says in verse 19, that the righteous, people thought they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. My point is there's a social aspect to this parable and the point that Jesus is trying to make. It's not just about how God sees us, but how we relate to our neighbor. And so in our work in the world, as the community of new wineskins, we learn from the tax collector. And we resist the temptation, which we will certainly feel, to have a posture like the Pharisee in this story. And so we go into our neighborhoods, and we are the first ones in the community outside of the church in particular, but also in the church, to confess our sins, to apologize, 
to try to identify where we have had a part in what is broken and to ask for God's mercy and admit that we don't have all the answers, but that we need to work together, asking for God's help to be a part of making things whole, to be a part of healing our communities, our country, our world, our own lives and our families. And so we follow this example with the trust that as we have softened hearts that are repenting and crying for God's mercy, that others will be inspired and moved, not only to have pity for us, that's not the point, but to recognize that perhaps in their own way, in their own time, by the work of the Holy Spirit, they might see the need for God's mercy themselves, and it might bring about a ripple effect. I mean, really, that's kind of my hope for the church today. Uh, the United Methodist Church is going through a lot of finger pointing and a lot of trying to manage and control righteousness. That's, I feel like, kind of what's happening in the split in the church. And I feel like the most effective thing that I can do, that we can do, is not to continue the cycle of blaming others and telling them why they're wrong and how what we're doing is right. I mean, there might be truth to some of that, but it doesn't actually soften hearts. It makes people defensive and resentful and divisive. So instead, what would it look like to courageously just say, yeah, we're broken, and here's my part. Here's my part and how we're broken. And I want to be very clear here. Finding our part in this does not mean that we look at our humanity with, with less than or that we um, degrade ourselves or, or start looking at ourselves and others as depraved, you know, like we have no hope at all. No, we love God and God loves us, but we need God's help. If anything, the tax collector realizes that he's loved by God. He calls out for mercy and he's beating his breast, not because he thinks God has rejected him or God doesn't love him, but because the sin that he's a part of and the sin in the world is so messed up, it's so broken, and he's grieving it, and he's grieving his part in it. And if we can live that way, trusting that God loves us and loves all people, I believe we can be a subtle but powerful part of the movement of grace and the transformation of lives and communities that God wants for the people that he loves. Would you pray with me? Oh God, humble us. Give us wisdom and clarity to see where maybe we are a part of things that are broken. Help us to know that you love us so much, that you love our neighbors, that we would never pit ourselves against them, but that instead, when we feel that temptation, we would turn to ourselves that we'd help one another do that in love and that we would offer ourselves again as we have confidence that you are there to have mercy upon us all. Help us know when to speak and what to say in our neighborhoods, our churches, our communities, so that we can, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help others be humble of heart and find your grace and mercy as we also desperately need it. In Jesus' name, amen.